Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm very excited to have today as my guest, Heather Nichols. She has been a therapist, a coach, a facilitator, author, speaker, and creator for over three decades. She was a somatic psychotherapist and movement facilitator for many years, and she specialized in working with trauma. She discovered access consciousness about 13 years ago and found that these powerful tools completely transformed all areas of her her own life, and she now facilitates sessions and classes in a variety of areas, including business, bodies, and helping people acknowledge how their difference is actually a capacity and not a disability. I'm really excited to talk about that. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And I always like to start off the show by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about their story and how they came to be doing the work that they're doing. So we'd love to find out a little bit more about you. Yeah. Um, I mean, gosh, it's been it's been a long, wonderful, winding path. Um, I would say the biggest thing for me, like the biggest piece of all of it that's always been like present for me is my body. And um, I I started dancing when I was two. Um, I never stopped. <laughs> um, I, I did ballet for um, 16 years. I was a gymnast, I, you know, a diver in high school. I, so just a lot of body stuff, you know, and um, and then I, um, I became a, uh, a social worker. I, I got a master's in social work. Um, and I discovered I was living in Boulder, Colorado, which is where I live now. And I discovered that there was a way to put those worlds together. And it was called somatic psychotherapy, body-centered psychotherapy and dance therapy. Um, and I started teaching a movement modality that was kind of therapeutic and um, you know, just like facilitated our evolution and awareness of bodies and um, was also practicing as a somatic psychotherapist and um, specialized, started, like I did a really specific training that taught me a lot about working with trauma in the body and through the body. Um, And that was really amazing um, to see the changes that, you know, were were showing up with people when we really included the body. And, um, and so I did that for a long time and then um, discovered access consciousness and um, and saw that there was like even an even easier way to facilitate change um, and just kind of started going in that direction. And um, and and along the way, you know, discovered that business was really fun for me. So I started facilitating stuff around business. And and now for me, it's like it all goes together. Like when we're resourced in our bodies, we're happy in our bodies, we can be really dynamic creators. We can, you know, celebrate the difference that we are in the world and, 
and use that to fuel everything. So um, I saw just a big playground. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I love that you, you look at it from that perspective of play, because I think a lot of people, especially our clients, tend to see things through the lens of problems. Like my body is a problem or my business is not performing the way I want it to. And that's a problem. And I'm curious, you know, what your take on that is, because if we call it a problem, what does that then end up creating for us? Right. Well, I mean, one of the big tenets of, of access consciousness is that um, your point of view creates your reality. And um, that's one of those things that I, for me, it's like, I feel like we can't kind of like stress that enough. Like it, 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 it's something that becomes more obvious and clear to me all the time is, wow, even like these tiny little subtle points of view that I have, like determine how the world shows up, how people in my life show up. Um, and so um, it's one of those, like, for me, it's like a something that I just continue to get more and more all the time. Um, and if you do have the point of view of problem, you're going to keep having more problems. Um, and it's, it's really weird actually to live without problems. Um, I like even recently, you know, I, I, like we were both at a class in Costa Rica last week. I came home and I was like, oh, you know, I kind of found myself like, look, like orienting toward looking for problems in this very subtle way. And I was like, they're they're not there like there's nothing there you know and and it's like it's strange to be in a world that is so problem centric when that's not your point of view yeah well even for me like right in this moment i have this little kitty cat i know i love it <laughs> was running around trying to like shake the camera and knocking things over and i'm like oh my god he's meowing in the background oh what a problem he's gonna mess up my podcast and you know <laughs> just being himself right he's, he's he's having a bit of a hard time his body's going through some changes and i'm having to practice exactly what you're talking about like oh my god yeah. what's wrong with my cat what do i need to do to fix my cat and what if instead I could just allow him trust that he's going through whatever he's going through. If he needs, I've taken him to the vet, you know, we've checked him out, all the things it's, it's something different. You know, he's going through an energetic change. I'm going through an energetic change. We just came back from a really intense workshop. And so what if it's not a problem and what if it's okay that he's meowing and running around and kind of hyper and a little needy and all of that. I just, um, I'm always having to practice this idea of allowance, like allowing him to be who and what he is without seeing it as a problem. That's funny. I just, my son just called me. <laughs> I did put it on do not disturb, but he's allowed, he's allowed past the, the do not disturb. So yeah, uh -huh. life, you know, life is, life is life. And, and it's, I love um, Steve Bowman, who um, who is a um, he's he's a, just a brilliant um, creator, brilliant guy. He's written some cool books. He says, you know, a problem is just a point of view. Um, it's probably a problem is just a possibility with a point of view attached. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's one of my favorite ways to look at things, you know, because it's like. If you, like, it's like, what if your cat is just really 
would really like to contribute to this conversation, you know, um, or like my son, you know, calling is like adding his energy, you know, and it, we just don't, we're not trained to, to think of things in that way, you know, but it's like, if you, if you drop the point of view and you're like, huh, I wonder if this is a possibility. Yeah. You know, or you start to ask questions that opens up a different space. Well, we talk about an access, right? How a question empowers, a question opens up possibilities, you know? And so when we are looking at something through the lens of problem, we can ask what's the possibility here or maybe what's right about this for those of us that have a tendency to go to the wrongness of things, like what's right about this that I'm not getting, right? With my cat being the way that he is right now, what's right about me that I'm not getting when we're being really hard on ourselves or, or, you know, judging ourselves. And I, I love the power of the question and I'm sure you use it a ton in your work with clients. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I mean, cause when you're, when you're curious about something, you're, you're just inviting, you're inviting new awareness and new possibilities. And, and so, and, and it's so powerful to like, you know, if I look at like working, like doing a, you know, a session with somebody or whatever, you know, and they come and they're like, I'm freaking out. I'm having anxiety. I'm stressing out. I'm, you know, whatever's going on. I have a problem with my partner or my child or whatever. And to be the space with somebody of, huh, like, I wonder what's right about this. You know, I wonder what's right about you. I wonder what's right about this. If this wasn't a problem, what would the possibility be here? Like all those questions, it's like to be that space with somebody and, you know, with each other, um, it's such a gift because it's, it just like takes you out of the like PTSD universe of problem solution reality that so many of us think is so real and inescapable. Um, but it, it is just a construct. I want to come back to this other um, idea of working with bodies and how, you know, as we're talking about questions and, and change, right? Um, one of the questions we sometimes ask clients is uh, when they're dealing with an issue, a problem, is this the change I've been asking for? And a lot of times change happens more on the physical level than really on the mental or emotional level. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about change and bodies and how that kind of how do you facilitate that with clients and especially shifting that point of view of my body is having a problem this thing hurts or this thing isn't working right yeah i love that question well <clears throat> our bodies are sensory organisms like they are sensate organisms that you know and and i would encourage you know anybody for whom this is interesting you know like what if you saw your body more like an animal like that beautiful kitty cat you know if you saw your body more like an animal <clears throat> and less like whatever you think it is you know <laughs> less like a problem um and um because our bodies are they have a, they have their own unique awareness um they are they have their own consciousness and they actually have a lot of wisdom and they communicate a lot of things with us. And one of the ways in which bodies communicate is through sensation. And so 
Uh, like when I was a therapist, we used to talk about sensation being like the language of the body. You know, so it's like, it's a very dynamic way that our bodies get our attention. And we can all see that through pain, right? Pain is a very easy, immediate way for our bodies to get our attention, you know? Um, and then there's, I mean, you know, we could do a whole, you know, I mean, we could do many days on that, you know, but the beyond that, there's, there's all this other possibility of like other sensations that aren't painful that also, you know, get our attention and give us information. But if we look at pain, it's like, I don't know why this is, (laughs) sorry. Um, if we look at pain, um, and we look at um, like, okay, so if your body is having pain, now what the, one of the things that people do is they go, okay, what's the problem here that I need to solve? And um, I never look at my body that way anymore, ever. Like I just always go, hey, body, what are you, what are you showing me? You know, what are you telling me? What are you communicating with me? And I always have the point of view that, my body is showing me something that could be greater about it and about my life and about, you know, everything that I'm doing. I mean, I, I include my body a lot in my business and, you know, like making choices about things and, you know, different things that I do. Um, and so, so pain has been, for me, it's been such a gift. Um, in my body going like, Hey, it could be easier. You know, like I'm just using this to get your attention, but it really could be easier, you know? And, and what if you explored this? What if you explored this? And there's so many different, you know, things we can add to our lives to make our bodies and our lives easier, you know? Um, and it's like, I feel like my body is kind of like a lot of times it's almost kind of like out ahead of me going like, Hey, look over here, you know, and then I go, Oh, wow. That's actually something I've been asking about for my business, but my body is showing me, you know, a different possibility over here, you know? So, but you can't get, you can't receive from anything that you judge. So if you judge pain as a problem and wrong or your body as a problem and wrong, there's no, that's it. That's the end of the road. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I work with a lot of healers and I also work a lot with people with addictions, especially drug and alcohol addictions. And I see with the folks with addiction, a lot of them, you know, the reason they're using chemicals and stuff is to kind of numb their awareness, to numb the sensations that their body is giving them. And so I wonder, you know, if you had a client like that coming to you, um, you know, where would you start, you know, like, where would you start with, um, teaching them that it's actually like, okay to feel sensations in your body? Yeah. It, well, uh, lots of places, I guess. I mean, I would start by just, you know, being with that person and seeing, you know, what, what was, yeah. Like asking some questions and, and, you know, I think, one of the things that we're not, we're not actually educated about is awareness. Um, and so many seekers and healers and, you know, people who actually, a lot of people who tend toward addiction, um, 
are very different people. They function in a really different way. And, um, and they have a lot of energetic awareness of the world that nobody ever talks to you about, you know? And, and so it's like, you know, when you're a child and you're aware of all these things and nobody's talking about it, you know? And I remember, I remember being a kid myself and, and, and like, always being aware of the lies that were unspoken, you know, always being aware of the energetic, what was going on energetically. And it didn't match what was going on on the surface, you know? And when you're a child and that there's this discrepancy between what you're aware of and what you're seeing and what everybody's telling you, and you're trained to reference the adults in your life for, you know, for them to teach you what's about reality, you know, um, and nobody's acknowledging the unspoken stuff. The, the first thing you're going to do is make yourself wrong um, and go to, I am deficient. I don't get this, you know? Uh, and I, I remember just being like, I don't understand how the world works. I need to like, so I would use my awareness, which was huge, and I would use my intelligence because a lot of people also who are seekers, healers, addicts are incredibly smart and have a lot of capacities. And so we use those capacities to study this reality, you know, and, and study the, all the lies and somehow like figure out a way to make it fit in your world and how to handle those discrepancies and, so we give up all these parts of ourselves and we make, you know, this, these lies, we make that, you know, real. And, um, and so I think to start to see, wow, like all the places where we've done that, you know, and, and what happens with addiction is a lot of times people, um, people just, they really need a way there's, there's so much energetic awareness going on. There's so much that they're seeing that nobody else is speaking to or acknowledging. And they, it's like, instead of like, they're going to just continually make themselves crazy mm -hmm. um, unless they numb out the awareness yeah. and, you know, substances are a great way to do that or, you know, any sort of repetitive behaviors. Um, it doesn't have to be a substance. It could be exercise. You know, mm -hmm. somebody could be addicted to exercise, you know, there's lots of different things like that. Yeah, I can really resonate with what you're saying as a, as a former head tripper myself. I mean, that's what I did. I was recognized early on as a smart kid. I did well in school, so I really pursued that. And I remember being an undergrad and learning about psychology and why I was so drawn to it is because I was trying to understand people. I was trying to understand why do people do the crazy things that they do? Why do people hurt other people the way that they do? And I thought that using my intellect and my mind would be the, the way to, to do that. And then my life took this such a dramatic turn, you know, after college when I got really, really sick. And for the first time, I had to actually pay attention to my body. I, did, I didn't even know I had a body from the neck down. I was so out of touch with it. And I went through this long, you know, almost 20 year thing with Lyme disease and chronic fatigue syndrome. And that's when I had to learn about like all that energetic awareness that I had been having my whole life 
but basically it just been storing in my body. You know, I had early life traumas and I had, um, I was a healer and I was trying to heal other people, my parents, my friends, my, you know, everyone that I cared about. I was trying to take in their pain and suffering and heal it for them. And what it did was it made me sick, you know, it made my body start to break down and all these things. So in that process, I was able to learn how that I have the gift, this gift that my body is to give me awareness. And now I know how to use it to give me information about working with clients. You know, now my body tells me about what's going on with someone and I don't just intellectualize it. And it's such a easier way to work with folks. So totally. Totally. yeah. Um, And I wanted to say something to come back, coming back to trauma and bodies. I think there's also a misperception in our reality that when something traumatic occurs, you know, you should just get over it. It's in the past, move on. But that discounts the body's role in it, that that the reality is we do hold trauma in our bodies. Can you say a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was that was my my work for for 13 years and and it still informs a lot of what i do um and you know trauma is um is it is both what we think of as trauma you know like events life events life experiences that are threatening you know perceived as threatening um to the body and to to our world you know um and then also i would say you know, just even living in a world that doesn't validate and acknowledge you as an energetic being with awareness, that's traumatic just in and of itself, you know? So there's some degree of that for everybody who has any sort of sensitivity or awareness, there's, it's, it can be traumatizing being in the world, you know? So, um, and one of the things that, that happens it it, it, with trauma is you know we have this amazing i mean our bodies are just incredible and we have these uh the you know different aspects of our nervous system but um but the autonomic nervous system is the part of our nervous system that is responsible for fight flight flee um fight flight freeze sorry um and in a traumatic event you know the nervous system does what it does its thing and if you again if you see your body as as like an animal um you can kind of have a different understanding of this whereas like there's an instinct right to get away from the traumatic uh threat or event and um and when we do that successfully and we navigate it successfully there's also a part of the nervous system that's responsible for bringing us back to resting and relaxation. But what happens in a traumatic event when we don't get to actually, when there isn't a, a you know sort of positive resolution to it is that we get stuck in traumatic activation. So our neurology actually gets stuck in the, um, in, the in fight, flight or freeze mode and that's only designed to be a very temporary momentary thing in our in our neurology but most people because of all the repeated traumatic experiences or just experience of being in the world we 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 live there you know and um and so it's a big part of i think what creates the world as it is in this moment um 
so many people are walking around with this neurological activation as if they're constantly, and that also goes back to like the problem thing, you know, mm -hmm. constantly looking for a problem because that's part of that neurological, yeah, looking right. for. So, so one of the things that I, I used to do a lot and I, I still do when I, you know, when it's appropriate is um, actually help people, uh, help people kind of revisit that those experiences in a, in a way that's more, a lot more resourced, um, like helping them stay really present with their bodies mm -hmm. and go back to those moments where these things were put in place and bring the neurology back down to resting. Um, so that the body actually, like the Bessel van der Kolk, Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. um, he actually was, the people that trained me in the late 90s actually were the first people that introduced him to body-centered work. And unfortunately, he doesn't really give them, I, from what I've seen, he doesn't give them much credit for it. Um, but um, but I, when I was in my training, I remember that one of my main trainers was going to work with him and he was just, she was just rocking his world because he had never considered the body. He's a, he's a, he's a very well-known um, psychiatrist. And, and, um, and so, so this idea that the body keeps the score is like it, it does, you know, and so we can undo that in a lot of ways, you know, we can undo it through, you know, different types of processes, but it has, and, and access consciousness bars, access consciousness, body processes, um, you know, there's lots of different ways to work with that, but it all involves coming into greater presence with the body. And that's one of the things that is, can be terrifying for people, you know, because they, their body is this sort of battleground and they're like, ah, you know, I can't even, so I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to do, you know, whatever. But, and that's also the beauty of like being with somebody and being like, Hey, I got it. I gotcha. You know, it's okay. You know, we can do this, you know? <laughs> Well, I find that's especially true when when people have had early ch like childhood trauma, especially if it involved bodies like physical abuse or sexual abuse or something like that. You know, most people don't want to stay present for something like that. So they dissociate. Right. They, they check out of their bodies and they come yeah. to believe that it's not safe to be in my body. Like yeah. if I'm in my body, bad things happen and, and painful things happen. So I'm just going to like be out here. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that. Like just teaching people how to be present, how to be with their body, how to be in their body and that it can be safe. Like that touch yeah. can be safe uh, yeah. or being, you know, more present with the body can be safe. That's like often where we have to start. I think. Absolutely. And, you know, dissociation is so adaptive. It, it actually is like, you know, a lot of people make it really wrong, but in the moment, it's our, it's our, it's an amazing adaptive capacity that we have to be yep. able to handle what's going on. And the beauty of working with it later on when you're in a safe environment is that you can, you know, revisit that and go, cool. Now we're going to resource you in a different way. Like you're, you're safe now, you know? And, and so now we can, you know, kind of take that apart. So you don't have to be stuck there, you know? Right. And that, that's just, it's, it's amazing how, you know, the neuroplasticity is a big buzzword these days. 
And that is a part of um, really cultivating neuroplasticity is, is to have this sense of like, like flexibility of the nervous system and flexibility of our energetic reality um, that allows you to, you know, access a lot of different ways of being um, and whatever's going to really contribute to you in that moment. And the more we do the unwinding, you know, work, whatever that looks like, um, the more we have access to that. And the more you have access to all of you, you know, which is really incredible. Well, and that's what happens with trauma, right? Is we cut off parts and pieces of ourselves, right? Like a lot of people, um, because they have now come to develop this point of view that it's not safe. Um, it's not safe to feel good. It's not safe to be happy because sometimes they were traumatized during a moment when they were really being fully themselves and being joyful and happy. And maybe somebody didn't like that and, you know, did something to them. So they learned it's not safe to even feel good or happy or whatever. Um, so yeah, like also it's so important not only to create that presence and safety, but to start to undo the belief systems, the points of view around, um, I can't be me, um, yeah. or, or to that, to, to even realize that you've cut off, you know, those parts and pieces of yourself and, and how do we bring that, those back in, in a way that feels safe to the person. So that feels like a lot of the work that we need to do with trauma. Absolutely. And, and it goes, it goes so deep. And I, I remember when I, when I started my training as a trauma therapist, I was like, I don't have trauma, you know, cause I, I actually didn't, I, you know, I didn't have like any events in my childhood that were classically considered to be traumatic. Right. Um, and then, but like really being present with what my body was telling me, what my body was showing me and how that was showing up in my life, you know, it was like, whoa, okay. You know, there is trauma here. It doesn't, I can't necessarily trace it to like a specific event, you know, but, it, but it was even like my birth, you know, like my birth was traumatic for me, mm -hmm. not because of like it, it, nobody else would have said that of looking from the outside, you know, which is why we also invalidate because <laughs> we're like, Oh, I'm just being too sensitive, you know, but I did so much unwinding of so many things that I never would have thought were traumatic and my whole life changed as a result. It's so incredible. Oh, I had an experience once in an energy psychology workshop where we were going back to our birth experience and I um, same thing, you know, didn't really know that there was any particular trauma of that process other than my mom was in labor for like 24 hours. But what happened was in, as we were being guided through this kind of meditative process, I started feeling the toxicity, I started getting nauseous and feeling the toxicity of the anesthesia that they gave her, the whatever, you know, for pain. The epidural, and, yeah. The epidural, right. And, and like, yeah. I could feel that it felt like poison to me, you know, and I had never even considered something like that. That's such a normal part of childbirth in, you know, in the Western world. Um, yeah. But the impact of that, you know, here I was like 30 years later, that, that that chemical like imprinting was still with me in my body. And my body had experienced that as a trauma. I had no idea. Yeah, it's our bodies. And it's so, this is just like, fascinates me to no end because our bodies give us this information and if we don't identify anything as a problem and we're like okay so what do you got now body you know like 
like my body has just recently taken me on this whole amazing journey of like I've been doing all this cleansing and it's been just like really cool what it's been unwinding and changing and and it's it's like it's just been I just I've learned time and time and time again to just really trust my body and lean in when it seems like something's going wrong to be like what is this you know which is one of the greatest questions you can ask from curiosity you know what is this mm-hmm. yeah and another <laughs> and oh sorry go ahead no just and then wait and and let the awareness come you know don't look for an answer but let your body just show you and it may not be right then right. it might be next week next month you know Well, and I think another great question, I often will do the same. I'll start with what is this or what do I do with it? You know, those kinds of questions, but also is this mine? Like, who does this belong to? Like we haven't, we haven't talked so much about this, but that's such a huge tool in access consciousness and such a gift to recognize when you're a highly sensitive person. And I want to talk about that too. When you're a highly sensitive person, you are constantly picking up on the thoughts, emotions, even the physical, what's going on in other people's bodies. Um, And if you don't acknowledge that it's not all yours, you're gonna be left feeling overwhelmed with all of that information, that energetic awareness that um, that you now your mind is going to create some story about like I have all these problems there's all these things wrong with me when all it is is that you're just highly attuned to what's happening with others and including your animals (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah you know it's funny speaking of birth because my my um I I didn't know this until recently I was chatting with my mom and and she was so anxious uh you know, before I was born, because she really wanted a girl. Mm-hmm. And this was before they, you know, you could find out. And so I, I was really aware of that, like, anxiety, you know, um, or like that, you know, like that desire, you know, but it was, it had this kind of anxiety. And um, I was really aware of it in utero, you know, it wasn't mine, you know, it was my mom's. Um And it turns out it was like, so I took it, I took on the energy of it as anxiety, you know, well, turns out, you know, 50 some odd years later, I find out, oh, cause she wanted a girl and I, I was a girl, I am a girl, you know? Um, And so it's, it's hilarious in a way, you know, like, cause the body is so, can be so literal. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like all I, all I perceived was like anxiety and it wasn't mine, but I took it. I took on the blueprint of that. Yes. And I lived with it. You know, I created my body around it and I created that as my world. And then, you know, found out like a lot later, oh, it's because she wanted a girl. That's hilarious. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, Heather, if you had gone into, you know, the Western psychiatric world and gone to a doctor, let's say, you know, with, uh, or a mental health professional trained in, you know, traditional, the traditional methods, you would have been told you might have like generalized anxiety disorder. Right. And here's a pill that you need to take to basically deal with that anxiety that was never yours to begin with and isn't even a problem, was just your awareness of what your mom was going through. And I think this is the trap that so many people get caught in and why 
even I'm doing this podcast is to help educate our fellow professionals around these other perspectives. Like maybe there's not a chemical imbalance happening. Maybe there's not um, this label, this disease state, you know, that we say people have that by the way is incurable and the best that you're going to do is be able to manage it. That's the paradigm. Um, I really, uh, I think it's so important for us to be having these conversations. And another thing that's, that's, I'm going to shift gears slightly here. And another buzzword that's, that's come up lately that actually I find encouraging is this term neurodivergent. What what we used to refer to as one still, some people in our field still do what we used to refer to as learning disabilities or autism or Asperger's, you know, autism spectrum disorder, um, Mm -hmm. uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, ADD, attention deficit disorder, all these disorders. There's a whole movement now to start looking at these things through a different lens, like neurodivergence. What What if this is about people's brains, neurologies, bodies, whatever it is being different? And what if it's not a pathology? Can you talk to us about that? Oh man, that excites me so much. Um, I mean, when I was, when I was getting my master's, um, I, it was 1997. Um, and I was like, I am not even taking the class in the DSM, (laughs) the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. I was like, like, you know, that's a, for those who aren't familiar, like, that's like the Bible that therapists use to, you know, you, you learn the criteria for diagnosing different disorders. And I was like, no, I don't, I'm not even going to learn about that because I have no interest in working that way with people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just, I was like, nope, I, I would much rather look at the strengths and the uniqueness of people. And, um, and, you know, here we are, you know, whatever it is, 30 years later or whatever. And it's like, this is becoming more of a thing. Um, and I, it's amazing to me. I mean, it's kind of baffling that because what the DSM does is it just, it just like streamlines everybody, you know, and it's kind of like, here's the, you know, here's the zone of mental health, what's considered health. Um, and it's very, very small, you know, and if you don't fit into this, you know, zone, then you're, you have a, you have a disorder, you know, and now from this neurodivergence um, perspective, it's like a neurodiversity. It's like, you know, the acknowledgement that every being walking on this planet is different. You know, they're going to function in different ways. They do function in different ways. And um, I mean, I love exploring um, like business from the perspective of, you know, ADHD, OCD, autism, like, cause I have traits of, you know, I have like aspects of all of those, you know, and, um, and I don't focus well. And I, I love doing a lot of different things and I am extraordinarily OCD about certain things. And, and, and I have a lot of autistic awareness, meaning like my brain does not do linearity. It's way more spherical and, and time isn't as time doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. It does, it's not, I, I don't function from time, you know? So, um, but when you look at all of those things and you, and you, you start to, you take off the labels and you actually look from the perspective of 
is this like this what what is the capacity here what is the uniqueness what is the ability um there's just so many there's so many things that become you know start to become available mm -hmm. um, i was just listening to a book last night where i can't remember exactly what he was saying but it was something about how like um he was saying how dyslexic entrepreneurs it was a it was a book about um i think it was called business brilliant or something like that and He's talking about how dyslexic entrepreneurs um, tend to be like, or like some of the most successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic mm -hmm. because they, they developed this ability at an early age to um, like outsource, you know, like, like they, they don't have the capacity to like do the linearity and function, like read and write. And so they had to have other people, it was an adaptive thing to develop this capacity to have other people doing things for you that you didn't have, that you just weren't able to, these people weren't able to do with dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, and that's what actually a characteristic of, of very successful entrepreneurs is that they don't do everything themselves. They don't do much themselves. You know, they, they really just stick to what's their brilliance is and they get other people to do other things um, and I just thought that was so fascinating, you know, it was like, yep, yeah, that's right up my alley, you know, that, um, if you have dyslexia, what is the gift of it? You know, if you can't yeah. do all of those linear tasks, but you can surround yourself with people who are really good at that, you know? Right. Right. And it's really hard to be, and you know, you've done this, I'm sure at some stage of, in your business, I have too, when you've been a solopreneur and you're trying to do everything on your own <laughs> and you really, you're not brilliant at all the things. And, <laughs> and it just seems like a lot more work and at times it can feel overwhelming. So for me, yeah, in growing my business, it's been huge to have other people that are brilliant at what they do that I'm not so brilliant at doing those things for my business and I can focus on what I love to do, which is really more the facilitation, the educating, doing the podcast, all the things. Like I can't deal with the back end of what happens after we record this. But exactly. I love I love that we're having the conversation and that and that I can and that I'm able to have people, you know, do the, you know, putting it all together. So um and yeah. you know, I think Einstein may have been dyslexic as well. I think I yeah. remember hearing that. And then that brings me to um, this wonderful book um, that came from some people in Access Consciousness, um, Anne Maxwell, who's a who also um, was a fellow social worker with you there in Colorado, and uh, Gary Douglas and Dane here, who are the co-creators of Access. They wrote this brilliant book that talks about this concept called "Would You Teach a Fish to Climb a Tree," which is an Einstein quote. Um, so, can you tell us more about kind of the Access Consciousness? perspective on neurodivergence and this concept of X-Men. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's right along the lines of what we've been talking about. Um, I uh, That's one of my specialty areas that I facilitate in, in Access Consciousness is the X-Men classes. And, um, and one of the, look, so here's a really, like I would say sort of basic and also like life-changing tool um, that to me is like the foundation of, of the X-Men work is um, taking everything and literally flipping it on its head. So um, so like the question, what's right about me I'm not getting? What's right about this I'm not getting? So if everything that you think is wrong about you, 
was actually your brilliance, you know, and you just have to flip it, you know, and, and the way that you do that is by asking a question, you know, and, and starting to get curious. Okay. So if I think I'm really messed up in terms of like, if I really don't, this has been one for me where I'm like, I suck with money, you know? Um, well, that's been what people have told me because I don't function like everybody else does with money. I'm actually really brilliant with money, but in my way, you know, and it's taken me a long time to get there. So, so, but I, I, what I started to do was look at, okay, here's the judgment. I suck with money. There's no question there. Right. So now I'm going to go, okay, now I wonder what actually is right about me with money that I'm not getting. I wonder what's right about how I am with money and what's different about it that's unique to me. What are my unique capacities that are seen as wrong by the rest of the world because they don't, I don't fit into any paradigm, you know? And then, and starting to like, just being in question with that and like, letting go of the judgments of it and being in the curiosity of what the brilliance is, it's like, it does eventually flip it on its head. And, and now I'm like, wow, like I, the way that I am with money, there's a lot of magic. There's a lot of capacity, like, but it doesn't like my dad would never say that I was good with money, you know, because I don't do it the way that he does, but I'm not him, you know? So well, and like X-Men kids, right, oftentimes in school struggle because they're kind of being forced, right, into this <laughs> traditional education paradigm, which, you that know, doesn't is like, work for anybody. no, it's like 200 years old, like little from Little House on the Prairie times where you like sat there, you know, at a desk all day, just, you know, passively sit still and you're supposed to be absorbing all this information that's coming at you. Like even mm-hmm. I can't learn that way. Like even now I go to workshops and stuff. I have to be on my phone. I have to be doodling. I have to be doing yeah. lots of different things for me to be, or better yet engaging, like in a conversation where I'm participating in the learning, not just stuff is coming at me. That never worked for me in school. That made things yeah. really hard. Yeah, for sure. And including our bodies too. Like that's a big one for me is like, if I'm moving my body, I, I, I receive information so much more with so much more ease and more dynamically. Cause I do, I do have ADHD tendencies, you know, and I don't, I don't like sitting. I'm like, who, I'm always like, who invented chairs? I don't understand. Like right now I'm sitting on a yoga bolster on the floor, you know, <laughs> I'm like, it's just, I'm like, I don't get chairs, you know, it's not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I want to be moving. I want to be, you know, I, I want to be using my body, you know, and that is a huge resource for me. Um, Cause it, it allows like all of that information to come in in a totally different way. And, you know, schools are just not designed to, to accommodate that, unfortunately. And, you know, there's some changes happening, but it's, it's very, school is very, very um, archaic, you know, it's just, it's so, it's so outdated. 
<laughs> there are some, I think if you look in some of the, you know, maybe Montessori, Waldorf, you know, there's some kind of schools that I think that are start that do have a better understanding in it and do get the kids more physically active. I've seen, I saw a video where um, they were letting kids sit on bouncy balls instead of chairs at desks and like they time sped it up. So all the kids are like, you can see them just all bouncing around and moving around. <laughs> like they have all that energy, you know, God, I remember yeah. being in school and you're sitting for so many hours and then recess would come and it was like a madhouse. All these kids were like <laughs> screaming and running around and it was mayhem on the playground because they had all this pent up energy that they were not allowed to, um, to express or use yeah. as part of their learning. And so, yeah, yeah, I would love to see more change happening in that arena. Um, this has been such a rich conversation, Heather. It's oh, really it's really been so cool chatting with you. Um, yeah. People want to find out more about you, your work. Uh, where can they go? Um, easy. HeatherNichols.com is my website. Um, yeah, so there's lots of stuff there. I have a YouTube channel. Um, I post videos twice a week. And um, uh, that's, I think if you just search Heather K. Nichols, it's there. Um, and I also... Um, just actually started a new podcast um it's called the entrepreneurial biome um and it's about nurturing the ecosystem of business body and living so really looking at like the the ecosystem and the biome of your whole life and living and including your body and your difference and your uniqueness and you know how you want to create and what you want to create so um that's new. That's on my website. It's on my YouTube channel as well. So awesome. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I yeah. definitely want to check that out. And um, and thank you for just sharing just your your uniqueness, your difference, your vulnerability in this conversation. Um, I think we've just offered so much information to people. Um, so I'm just super grateful for this chat we've had today. Me too. Thank you so much for inviting me and, and for you. It's been really cool. Awesome. And thank you all audience, listeners, viewers. Um, if you want to find out more about Heather, please go to her website. Um, you can also find out more about my work uh, at, at my websites, firebird-healing.com and adrianapopescu.org. Heather and I are both all over all the social media. <laughs> We're in the 21st century. We're everywhere. You can find us and feel free to reach out to either one of us if you want um, to learn more about how you can work with us or workshops we may have. We're both creating a lot and putting a lot out there. And of course, there's always, we talk a lot about access consciousness. You can check out the website, accessconsciousness.com, and they have a ton of information on YouTube and all the social media platforms. So uh, there's plenty out there for you to explore if you want to find out more. So thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.